termites nostri che nos Deus noster. In nome di Pazzi e Fini e Pietro Santi, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today, during this preparation of Christmas, as we approach the birth of the Savior, we look uh, more closely at the preparation and the immediate anticipation of this extraordinary moment. We saw yesterday how this expectation is expressed in those antiphons which uh, precede the gospel, like the O Radix Jesse, Jesse, or O Key of David, or O Dayspring, or Rising of Dawn, O King of Nations, until we come to O Emmanuel, O God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. O Emmanuel really means that he is with us, and yet we are still waiting. He is already with the Blessed Virgin as she runs to her cousin Elizabeth, who also now had become pregnant with John the Baptist. We have now Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. Two pregnant women, fragile, delicate, filled with hope. And Mary goes to meet her cousin. It was not an easy trip. Joseph was there to protect. Mm -hmm. He took that task very seriously. And of course, after Christmas, we will be celebrating the Holy Family. And so we can already now, as we prepare for Christmas, prepare for all the families who will somehow have to be connected by Zoom, connected in different ways. People will just be Zoomed together. The, 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 Zoom, the Christmas Zoom connections will be different than what they typically, typically are. When we normally would have had many people come together. Now it's going to be different. So, we ask you, Lord, grant them courage to see the providential dimension to this. In any pandemic, any plague, religion has always grown. Faith has always grown. People realize that in a time like now, that they're not totally in control of everything, of everything. They need to recognize their place in this universe with all its troubles. They see how vulnerable and fragile they really are. 
and how really are they on their own sometimes. Yet one of the most beautiful moments in history, of all of history, was that when pregnancy met pregnancy. One pregnancy met another pregnancy. When two childbearers became the first heralds of the King of Kings. Mary met her cousin Elizabeth. All pagan peoples began their teachings of adults. Always touch with adults. Mature adults. But Christianity is unique because it begins with the birth of a child. And we have several days to consider this birth. To make little cribs. To adore him, even if you don't put the actual child in the crib yet. But we're preparing. And that awareness that the teaching of the child is from, well, literally an infant. From that day to this, Christians have never have ever rather been defenders of the family and the love of generation from one generation to the other. If we ever sat down to write out what we would expect of the infinite God to do, certainly the last thing we would expect is to see him imprisoned in a carnal ciborium for nine months. As, he, as we picture the Lord Jesus imprisoned now in the womb of, of Mary. The next to last thing we would, in fact, expect is that the greatest man ever born of woman, while he is still yet in the womb of Elizabeth, would salute the yet imprisoned God-man while he's still imprisoned in the womb. But that's precisely what took place in the visitation when Mary came to visit her, her aunt. Probably she didn't see very often. There's theory that maybe she used to live with, uh, with her husband in the past he may have lived in Nazareth and then because he became her husband became a, a priest he, she, she had to go to Nazareth who knows but uh, or rather to Bethlehem you know so but there was little John the Baptist dancing as though already in the womb of his mother there she was he was already uh, conscious of his role. He knew something was happening and already there uh, in, in the womb. And he danced. He was trying to, they say, he was trying to make a high five to his cousin, Jesus. He was like inside, trying to make a high five. You'll remember that the Annunciation, the Archangel told Mary to her cousin Elizabeth was about to become well she was about to become the mother of John the Baptist so this visit may maybe even the very high five was even a, a God's idea 
Now, if we picture it, and I presume you've pictured it already in your prayer, Mary is the young girl, but Elizabeth is, is quote-unquote, advanced in years, so she's much older. And uh, certainly much older than the normal year of uh, conceiving. We read uh, in the Gospel of St. Luke, See, moreover, how it fares with thy cousin Elizabeth. She is old, yet she too has conceived a son. She who was reproached with barrenness is now in her sixth month to prove that nothing is impossible with God. She's old. She's in her sixth month. It's not impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And with that, the angel left her. The angel was no longer there. In fact, did not continue to accompany her. Now she was on her own. And she exercised with her free will, with her, with her supernatural logic, what God wanted of her. And Christ could be born, we know, without the intervention of man. While John the Baptist was conceived regardless of the age, even though his mother was well beyond the age, both Jesus and John the Baptist shattered the standard goal of childbearing. We shouldn't be surprised because nothing is impossible for God. And, uh, well, you know this, in the mystery as it continues, it says, In those days that followed, Mary rose up and went with all haste to the city of Judah, in the hill country where Zechariah, Zachary, dwelt, and entered in, she gave Elizabeth a greeting. No sooner had Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting than the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, so that she cried out in a loud voice, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. How have I deserved to be thus visited by the mother of my Lord? Why, as soon as, as ever the voice of thy greeting sounded in my ears, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed art thou for thy believing the message that it was brought to thee from the Lord shall have fulfillment. Well, that's a, a beautiful passage we contemplate every day when we do the rosary and okay, that exchange between St. Elizabeth and, and Mary, both of them being pregnant. We know Mary went with haste. She was in a hurry to go. It was like urgent, deliberate speed. And... Uh, she hastens to meet her. Why? Well, it's not motivated that haste by curiosity, nor does she hasten there to discover whether or not they, what the angel has told her is true or not, as a kind of very verification. Humble, she's filled with charity, a charity that leads her to be more concerned for her elderly cousin, who she probably knows that well, but she knows she was elderly and she needed help, and she goes to the home of Elizabeth because she has discerned this heavenly message, this hidden relationship between Elizabeth and the child, and that the son she carries within her is going to have to be born there. 
Now, she goes so from Nazareth to a place called Ain Karin. That's where Elizabeth lived. It's about 160 kilometers. So it's not like a hop, skip, and a jump. It's, not, it's like 160 kilometers. And it's a little hill in the, in the, uh, yeah, in the, in the mountains. Well, not, not the mountains, but in Judea. And uh, probably it was Joseph who arranged the trip. He had to go and look for a caravan so that they could travel safely. In those days, it wasn't easy to travel. It wasn't just like getting on the 401. For us, some people, even now, they get panicked by getting on the 401. There is, there is a 401 uh, phobia, right? There's so many lanes on the 401 that people get panicked about it. Well, this was like, maybe not that bad, but there were still dangers. There were robbers in the bushes and stuff, you know. So she goes, however long it would have taken, 160 kilometers, imagine just walking, maybe with the donkey. She goes to alleviate the burdens of Elizabeth, who was old and she was pregnant. There's a famous, uh, um, what do they call it, apocryphal gospel called the Proto-Evangelium of St. James, probably written around 125 AD, so it's not considered a, a real gospel, but it's called a proto-gospel. It had a lot of... Uh, authority for many years. Uh, it says, that one says, in fact, that she actually served in the temple. She served in the temple because there was a temple there. And uh, because since Zechariah was of the tribe of Levi, she somehow must have helped there in the temple with some kind of humble tasks. Maybe she did some cleaning, who knows. But she knew that she was bringing joy as she ended up there. And um, what do we say? What is one of the invocations we say about Mary? We say that she is the cause of joy. Cause of joy. So as we pray this evening, and we picture Mary going to her cousin, Mary's pregnant, Elizabeth's present, there's Zachariah, there's Joseph, they meet. They realize this is a very historical moment it's a very supernatural and Mary goes and brings her cousin joy deep joy that's why we say Our Lady is cause of our joy am I a cause of joy for others do I serve others like that people happy to see me do I serve them with joy do I do little acts of service and, of course, she's bearing in herself the secret of salvation. And it would have been like, I don't know, five days and, and, and you know, making that trip. And um, she gave that greeting when she arrived to Elizabeth. Probably, who knows, probably was in the autumn. And she said, she probably said something like, I came to serve. I came, rather, I came not to be served, but to serve. And now she ministers with her cousin, and, and uh, she goes there to help. The handmaid of the Lord becomes the handmaid of Elizabeth. You know, she, Mary says, I, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Now she's the handmaid of Elizabeth, because she was humble. She was ready to give herself in this act of service. So, on the one hand, we have to be, we have to also, like Mary, 
be causes of joy. We can ask that now. Help me to be a cause of joy for others. By listening to others, by serving them, by being interested in their things, how can I be a cause of joy? I mean, we got, I guess we cause of joy, cause of other people's joy when we give them gifts. Uh, but let's not lock ourselves up too much. Lock ourselves away. Call people. Write them emails. How's it going? Call them. I want to be a cause of joy, Lord. I want to be a cause of joy. Find up, find some good jokes to say. You know? I have a good joke. I, this is a good joke. Okay, and then we can tell the joke. You know? And it might be a bit uh, old. And stuff, but it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Tell jokes. I want to be a cause of joy. But of course, also, she was able to do this because she was humble. And like Mary, we have to be handmaids. People who are really truly capable of serving, of giving. Okay, ask yourself about this in your life. Are you a person who, who serves, who gives her life, daily tasks? Do I dream about that, how I can serve, how I can, my life can be a spirit of, done with a life of service, that my life can be somehow about how I love others, how I live for others? you're married, you can love your spouse and live for your spouse, your family, your children, but also your friends. Some of you know the famous, um, uh, I think she's, yeah, from Norway, Norwegian author, her name is Sigrid Unset, and initially she wanted to be a painter, this is, I think it's like in the 1920s or something like that, she wanted to be a painter, um, and she ended up working in some office in Norway. And then in 1924, she converted to Catholicism and uh, she wrote this spectacular novel called Christian Lavransdatter. I think it's uh, three volumes. And she actually won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1930. It's a, it's a marvelous, marvelous book. It takes place in the Middle Ages and, and stuff. And very, very, you know, around the characters of the figures and but in her own life, she suffered quite a bit in her life. Uh, she lost two of her children. Her husband was a crazy painter himself, and uh, he was never there. He was always, you know, who knows, off. But she was an amazing cook. Uh, she was a prolific writer. And she was extremely kind. Like, she was way kind. I would have liked to have gotten one of her meals. You know, that would have been, you know. And uh, she, she wrote, you know, actually she talks about her meals in her stories that she wrote. And, uh, but a lot of the stories have to do with the action of grace in souls. How grace actually acts. How God wins us back. But also about the good nature souls that responds to, to, to God's grace by their acts of service. By caring for others. She had a deep faith, <coughs> excuse me, but she, and she was even criticized for it. And uh, I heard a story, what was it, I think about her father who was a famous archaeologist, Martin Unzet, and he had worked on this archaeological site in the Acropolis in Athens. Those were the years that they were discovering the, the Acropolis. Uh, and uh, there he found an ancient little horse, a little toy horse. 
And uh, I guess, well, I, I don't know, it was like way ancient from the Greek period, right? And he kept that horse and he gave it to Zikrit Unset, his daughter. And she recounts, she remembers uh, uh, playing with it. And when she was 11 years old, he died, uh, I think he died of uh, typhoid or something. But she had that little horse that he had given her, the little toy ho horse. And you could say she, she somehow discovered the spirit of service by just looking at that little horse. I don't know what it looked like, honestly. I, I tried to look it up, but I, I don't know what the little horse looked like. But it, it was a bit like the, the role of the donkey that St. Maria loved so much, right? If you go around any center of the world, you look around, you'll find donkeys everywhere, right? So, oh, there's one, oh, there's another donkey, right? Sometimes they're sitting, sometimes they're pulling a cart or something. I hope you have uh, donkeys around here. I haven't looked around too much, but uh, is there a donkey here? There's no donkeys here, but, uh, you know, the hard-working donkey that doesn't complain too much, uh, maybe it's a bit stubborn, but... Uh, and not exactly the smartest creature in the world either, no? but, uh, but they get things done. They don't complain. They're there to serve. They're hardworking. And that's the spirit of service. You could say that well, it was certainly in uh, Sigurd Unsen, but it was in our Blessed Mother. And it's got to be for us during this holiday season also, and, and during Christmas time, that like, I get, if I can just... Think deeper in the sense of spirit, a spirit, a humble spirit of service. And um, it's a beautiful thing. But how do we, how do, we do that? Well, St. Maria recommended that the first thing we do when we wake up, like first you leap out of bed if you can. You can make a somersault if that's possible. That would be good. Leap out of bed, you make a somersault, and well, not, you don't have to, but, but you know, you. you Basically, you leap out of bed right away. Just don't even think about it. Even if you haven't slept, even if you're tired, you only got uh, three hours, you studied, I don't know what, get out of bed. And the first thing you do is you say, serviam, which means I will serve. I will serve. And you think, okay, how am I going to serve? How am I going to serve? He says this actually in the way. That cry, serviam, I will serve, is your determination to serve the church of God faithfully, even at the cost of fortune, of reputation, and of life? Right? Serve the church faithfully. Serve your family faithfully. It's readiness, like that little donkey. He really liked little donkeys. There's a phrase he used to say. I remember when I first started going around the center, somebody gave me a little picture of, he was then only Jose Maria. He wasn't, Blessed, he wasn't even venerable in those days. But it was just a little photo of him, like an old photo, you know, from 19, I don't know, 50 or something. And written on it, it said, Ut Jumentum. And the person gave it to me. I said, Ut Jumentum. What? What on earth is that? I mean, I was I mean, you're 17 year old. How do you possibly have any idea what that means? You know, at least I certainly had no clue. And um, and the person who gave it to me said, "What? You don't understand Latin?" Uh, no, I don't understand Latin. I've never never studied Latin. I was a Protestant anyway, so Latin was anathema to us. He said, "So you don't understand what you what you meant to me, eh? No, I don't understand what it is. What does it mean?" And he kind of rolled his eyes and says, like a good donkey, that's what it means.
Ut jument, like a good donkey. Well, it doesn't actually say good, but anyway, that's what you understood. Like a donkey. And I remember that staying in my head, like, that's what we have to be. We have to be like a good, hard-working donkey that serves. And uh, just kind of like the Blessed Virgin Mary, she said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. She was like a donkey as well, in a certain sense. But we can say it devoutly. We can say it very devoutly. I'm like a good donkey. I want to be like, yeah, I want to be like that. Uh, Pope Gregory the Great in the 7th century, at the very beginning of the 7th century, he end of the 5th, no, end of the 6th, at the beginning of the 7th century, he said, Servus servorum Dei. I'm the servant of the servants of God. Hmm? That was the title he gave. It's like one of those official titles. And I think Pope Francis still uses Servus servorum Dei. The servant of the servants of God. Wow, what a beautiful title. And, uh, well, you, you and I at least have to be servants of God. And this is what our Blessed Mother felt. And so she kind of got rewarded for that attitude. She enters and sees Elizabeth, and the child within her womb leapt for joy. Wow. And uh, the little, little, what's his name, John the Baptist, he, he leapt. And uh, all the longings for thousands of years for a Savior now were, were, were fulfilled in this ecstatic moment of joy. So much so that even John the Baptist greets Christ, even though he's not been born. And, uh, well, he was greeting Jesus who was in the womb, or maybe he was greeting the Blessed Virgin Mary. One of the two. Yeah. Or both, maybe. Mm. So, that's why we say that Mary is present at three births. She is present at the birth of John the Baptist. She's birth, present at the birth of her own divine son and at the birth of, well, of, uh, of John, the evangelist. She's present there too. And because he is, quote, born as her son at the foot of the cross. I mean, she didn't see him be born as a kid, but she saw him be born as her son when our Lord said, this is your son, this is your mother. And uh, so Mary, the woman, presided at those three great moments of her life. At the birth, on the occasion of the visitation, at a marriage, at the Feast of Cana, and at the death of, uh, or a surrender of her life at the crucifixion of her divine son. But it's beautiful to think of that, you know, that, her, that the child leapt in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb, and she felt herself filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's where we get the essence of the whole of the Hail Mary. The first part was spoken by the angel to Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. That was said by the angel. And the second part is now added by Elizabeth when she sees Mary. And in a loud voice she said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. We say that every day, well, very frequently. So as we, as we finish our preparation, do we have one more day of preparation uh, in this Tridun? Let's ask for that true spirit of service, if we can, which is based on a spirit of joy. So we bring those two together. Spirit of joy and spirit of service together.
like linked together. And if you sense in these next days in any way any, any sadness, any discouragement, say, I don't want that, I don't want that, this is not for me. I don't want it, Lord. Grant me a spirit of joy. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, when we pray to her, she will be the cause of our joy. And as a result, we'll be men and women who are like servants of the servants of God. We'll be servants. We'll, we'll serve. And we can, I recommend that. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, leap out of bed, do a somersault, do a push-up, and then immediately say, Serviam. Well, you don't have to do the push-up. But the somersault, yes. Okay, please. Okay. And uh, for sure you have to do the Serbian. Okay, if you don't do that, it's useless. I mean, go back to bed, you know. But uh, No, don't go back to bed. But uh, Serbian. I will serve. I will serve God. I will serve the Lord Jesus and our Blessed Mother and the Church. And we'll make it a very effective uh, Christmas octave. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.